الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وكونوا مع الصادقين صدق الله العظيم Most respected students of deen mothers and sisters last week we discussed some incidents from the life of the very great muhaddith faqih and all the various other titles that we discussed last week about this great personality abdullah bin mubarak rahmatullah alayhi was a leading personality of that time of that era he was a student of imam abu hanifa rahmatullahi and he was among the very great scholars and very high, very highly respected so we discussed some incidents from his life so today inshallah we will continue with a few more things because as we mentioned last week that we have to follow people allah taala has made this the system for us such people who are truly guided themselves and they have taken the guidance from the truly guided people above them and this unbroken chain goes all the way up to rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam this is how we have to take our deen from people who are experts in the knowledge who have the correct understanding which they have gained from their teachers in the same manner and again they in turn gained it from their teachers all the way up so we have to look into the lives of these personalities and we have to learn from their incidents and these incidents are also very very effective we perhaps mentioned this last week Hazrat Junaid Baghdadi rahmatullah alayhi his statement al hikayat jundum min junudillah that the incidents of the pious are an army from among the armies of Allah Taala an army conquers where it goes these incidents are armies in the sense that they conquer the heart the heart that is filled with wrong thoughts the heart that is filled with evil desires the heart that is not inclined towards righteousness the heart that is very very much attached to the dunya now these incidents of the pious what kind of lives they led how they conducted themselves these conquers these enemies in our hearts the enemies of the evil qualities the enemy of pride the enemy of miserliness the enemy of uh love for the dunya and all the various other enemies that we have in our hearts the wrong qualities the evil qualities these incidents of the pious people it has an effect on the heart these pious people's lives were so filled with noor and so filled with barakat merely talking about them this brings the rahmat of allah taala in the zikr salihin tanzilur rahma mullah liqari rahmatullah alay very great muhaddith this is his statement in the zikr salihin tanzilur rahma the discussion of the pious personalities this 
descends the rahmah from Allah Ta'ala because we are talking about people who are close to Allah Ta'ala. So this makes it makes us the recipients of the rahmat of Allah Ta'ala. Nevertheless, to take a few incidents again from the life of Abdullah bin Mubarak Rahmatullah and as mentioned previously that the main object is to learn from their lives and implement that in our lives. That is what we have to learn. The lessons from them. Not just as a historical record we heard something, we spoke something and like some history textbook now that's the end of it. No, that's not going to be the way that we will benefit. We have to look deeply into it and learn from the lessons and apply those lessons in our life. So in any case, <coughs> Abdullah ibn Barak in his early life, in his young days, something may have gone wrong that he fell into some kind of wrong company or whatever the case might be. So he had a very carefree life. Whereas he had been born from very pious parents. Just to get an example of the piety of his father, his father was a slave and he worked in an orchard of the master. In those days people were slaves and they were totally owned by the master. Now he was also a slave owned by the master. So one day the master came and the master said, bring on pomegranate. So he wanted the juice of the pomegranate. So he brought the pomegranate, plucked one pomegranate from the tree and then he squeezed it and the juice came and he drank it, sipped it, but it was sour. So he said, no, this is sour, bring another one. So he brought another one from a different tree and that turned out to be sour as well, so he got irritated a bit. He said, no, bring another one. He brought the third one, that too was sour. So now the master got upset and he said, don't you know where's the sweet pomegranates you're working so long in this orchard? He said, no, I don't know. So he said, what do you mean you don't know? You're working so long in this orchard and you don't know where the sweet pomegranates are? So it was like taken for granted that the person working so long in the orchard, he's in the orchard, he lives there and fruit do fall off the tree and people are not conscious if it's not falling off the tree, they make it fall. So they would then have that fruit. So now that it's just like expected that the person would have tasted the fruit. So he said, no, I didn't taste it. I, I, I don't know where's the sweet fruit. So he says, but why you don't know? Haven't you tasted it? So he said, no, I didn't taste it. He said, you didn't taste it? He was very surprised. The master could not believe this. That this slave, he's a slave, he's down and out, he doesn't have anything. Such a person would now just... Anyway, he finds something, he just regards it as his luck, just takes it, grabs it. So you really didn't taste it? He said, no, I didn't taste it. Why you didn't taste it? He says, because you didn't ever give me permission to taste it. You All you told me is to tend to the orchard, to look after the orchard, to do whatever the work is. But you never ever told me if you want to eat the fruit, you may eat it. So I didn't have any permission to eat it, so therefore I never tasted it. Subhanallah. Can we imagine what a high level of taqwa this was? Because it was like the norm, it was like almost like there was permission. 
because the master expected that this will happen. But yet because there wasn't clear permission, he didn't take it for granted that well this happens all the time. So since this happens all the time, so it, it's fine, it should be the case. It must be on. So nevertheless, when the master heard this, he was very, very impressed. Then, in that time, he came and asked Abdullah bin Mubarak, uh, the, the father Mubarak, he asked the father, who is the slave now, that I have a daughter who is of marriageable age. What is the kind of person that I should get my daughter married to? What kind of qualities should he have? Now, who is he asking? Now, these are all the lessons you have to take. One is the lesson of this honesty and uprightness of this slave of that time, Mubarak Rahmatullah How honest, how upright, somebody else's thing, I can't touch it, I can't take it. Can we imagine what a great thing this is? And this brought him this good now, this good that is going to come now. It was this sincere, sincere doing of the good. He did for Allah Ta'ala. Any so in any case, the sincere intention that I need to do what is good, what is right, the master got very impressed. Allah Ta'ala put that high regard for his own slave in the heart of the master. Now, the second incident that happened at the time was now he, the master is asking him for advice. Why is he asking him for advice? The reason for asking him for advice is that he saw this is a pious person. Somebody who has fear of Allah Ta'ala at heart So now, this is the type of person He wants to get his daughter married. So now this consultation to do. So the right people to consult is somebody who has knowledge and piety. The piety of this person, we have seen the taqwa, the signs of the taqwa, the signs of this person's honesty. So that piety was there, and in the interaction, he had understood the person's wisdom as well. So now he came for mashwara, so he came to such a person. Otherwise, if a person goes for mashwara to somebody without piety or without the knowledge, that person might tell him something totally opposite to what should be the correct view, what should be the correct advice. And unfortunately this happens so many times. People need some kind of direction in something, but they ask someone who doesn't have the knowledge, doesn't have the piety, doesn't have Allah consciousness. Obviously what is in the heart of a person, Allah Ta'ala knows alone, we don't know. But on the apparent signs, apparently what is the position we can understand, so on that note, we should go by what we can see, what we can understand, or what we know in terms of the person's life. So on that basis, we will then make the decision of who to ask. So sometimes people ask those who don't have the knowledge, they don't have that taqwa and consciousness of Allah Ta'ala. So they get the kind of advice and direction which is very very dangerous for a person's deen sometimes one's dunya also like for example one person she asked somebody for advice that uh, I need to go to a certain place I don't have any mahram but it's, is it fine for me? can I go? 
So now she asked somebody without the correct knowledge, somebody who just picked up something here and there, and he he appears to know some things, but he hasn't studied formally somewhere, or whatever the case is. So now the advice she got, well, no, it's fine, you can go now. Because in those days it was that travel in those days was on camel back and so on and through jungle terrain. Now it's all changed now. Now you people sit in a in a plane and sit in a train or bus and it's all safe and the roads are safe, so that doesn't apply anymore. Now a clear command of deen, something that Rasulullah has clearly commanded in the Hadith Sharif, this person made his own deduction made his own reasoning behind it, and he said, no, no, it's fine, you can go, no problem. Whereas it's wrong, it's not correct, it's impermissible that a woman travels a suffer distance and she doesn't have a mahram. So, therefore, mashwara guidance has to be taken from the right source. Otherwise, we'll go off the track. Somebody asks someone, because a person claims to be a scholar of some sort, I asked him, but, uh, you know what, uh, is it fine for a girl to wear jeans? So he said, yeah, what's wrong with it? It's fine. My daughter wears it too. Uh, that was his reasoning. My daughter wears it. So if his daughter wears it, then it became right. So maybe the, by extension the reasoning is that if I allowed my daughter to wear it, it must be right. But is it conducive to haya? Is it emulating the Yahud and Nasara? Is it in keeping with the Hayat that Islam has taught? All these questions, there's no concentration to that. So the person doesn't have any idea of what he's saying, doesn't have the knowledge. So now obviously those who are going to now refer to such people, they're going to go off in another track. Somewhere one person asks something that now I want to attend one talk somewhere but the speaker is going to be talking directly without any parada. It's a male speaker and there's going to be some kind of lecture of some sort, whatever it is. He's going to be talking directly. He's not going to be behind a screen. So is this okay? So the speaker himself was asked the question that, you know what, people want to know now, is this fine? That you're going to be addressing these females directly. Say no, it's all my daughter's. It's all my daughters, so it's fine. I don't need to have any pardaya. So now it's all his daughters. So now they heard it, okay, well, this person who is a scholar of some sort, he says, no, it's all his daughters, so it's fine. Now, did they really become his daughters? And to ask the question very clearly and openly, that if he decides to marry one of those so-called daughters tomorrow, would that nikah be valid or not? Yes, it will be valid. If everything is in order, the conditions of the nikah have been fulfilled, then it's fine. So the point is that he can get married to one of them. They are not his daughters. They are not mahram to him. So now suddenly they became daughters and therefore because they are his daughters in inverted commas, there is no parda required. So now they accepted it, fine. There is no parda required here, we are his daughters. But now tomorrow one of those daughters could become his wives. So this is the deviation that can come when a person resorts to taking advice just anywhere and everywhere. There have to be a lot of 
careful thought and consideration from where we take our advice. We don't disrespect anybody. We don't get into condemnation and we don't have the knowledge, we don't have the details, we don't get into all that. But we make careful choices about where we take our deen from. Ibn Sirin Rahmatullah this is his statement, Imam Tirmizi Rahimullah, in his Shamail Tirmizi, right at the end of the Shamail Tirmizi, he quotes Ibn Sirin Rahmatullah So a great muhaddis like Imam Tirmizi Rahmatullah he is quoting this in his book of Hadith. At the end of it, the statement of the great Tabi'i, very, very great Tabi'i, among the Sayyidul Tabi'in, Muhammad ibn Sirin Rahimahullah, who was Imam al-Tabir, who was the expert in the interpretation of dreams as well. And a very great muhaddis, very great scholar and alim. He says, ilm This ilm is deen. This is not just some theory. This is its deen. In other words, you are not just acquiring some theory, you are acquiring deen. So beware of who you take your deen from. Don't just take it anywhere and everywhere. First make sure that the person is authentic, the person is reliable, he's going to give you what is correct. And that you will gauge from the pious scholars of the time, what is their view about him. Do they sanction him and endorse him? You can go by that. So that is the very important lesson that we learn from here is that who do we take mashwara from? Who we take advice and guidance from? We could take it from the right source. Otherwise, Allah knows best what's, what kind of source it will become. Some kind of mixed source. So Allah knows whatever uh, spoiled source it will be. But it won't be the authentic source. So, khair. In any case, Mubarak Rahmatullah now the master came to take mashwara from him. That I have a, married, a daughter who is of marriageable age, so who should I get her married to? Now again, this is a very important lesson here. Allah Ta'ala grant each one a good home. Allah Ta'ala grant such homes where the support of deen will also be there and there will be the happiness of dunya also. So this is in sum total all the good of dunya and akhirat that is being made dua for. And that dua we should keep making. But nevertheless there is a very important lesson here. So in any case when he asked the slave this question now Mubarak is his slave. So he replied and said that in the times of Jahiliyyah among the Arabs the lineage the ancestry, that was everything. That there must be a very high lineage. The family background must be of a very high level. Very prominent family it must be. So if their lineage was high, the ancestry was high, they coming from a very, very high level family, then that was the biggest consideration. That okay, this person now has proposed, but he's of a very high level family, then fine. Otherwise, not interested. So that was as far as the Jahiliya was concerned. The people of Jahiliya. And then the Yahud, the Jews, money was everything for them. As long as there is wealth, the boy who has come now, he is a very wealthy fellow, so that's fine. The rest of it doesn't matter. He can be anything in the world, but he must be wealthy. 
money is everything. So they made their decisions based purely on wealth. And the Nasara, beauty was everything for them. Meaning that was the primary aspect on which they made the decisions. Either way, if that criteria of beauty was found, then that was fine, otherwise they are not interested. But in Islam, we have been taught that the priority must be deen. That if there is deen in the person, that's the first thing to consider. Then together with that, after that, whatever other necessary aspects have to be looked at for the compatibility in order to ensure that to the best of our ability, it appears that the match is suitable, this compatibility between the prospective couple, then fine, alhamdulillah. But the primary thing is deen, person's taqwa, the person's akhlaq. If this is missing, then all the other apparent things can be there, but there's going to be a problem. So it's not that other things would not be considered at all, but the primary thing is a person's deen and akhlaq. إِذَا خَتَبَ إِلَيْكُمْ مَنْ تَرْضَوْنَ دِينَهُ وَخُلُقَهُ فَزَوِّجُهُ Nabi Islam says, when such a person has proposed to somebody's daughter, somebody's sister, whoever is responsible, on behalf of that person's daughter, his sister, somebody has proposed now, so the person who has proposed, the father, the brother, whoever is responsible, Nabi Islam is saying to him, you take consideration of these two things primarily. That is the person's deen and akhlaq is, you are pleased with it, then accept the proposal. Get the nikah done. This is the primary thing. Unfortunately nowadays, the primary considerations again are wealth, other person's social standing, material possessions, and all these kinds of ajeeb deep things. And what kind of holidays you will give me? This is really something that's mind-boggling. One person went to see some girl with the view of a proposal. So he went in the normal, correct manner with his parents. Some contact was made with the girl's family. And then they uh, accepted, okay, fine. You can come through the normal correct channels, how things happen in the correct manner. Not the way, unfortunately, which is becoming the norm nowadays, that boys make their own choices themselves. Unfortunately, girls have become so bold also, they make their own choices because they caught up on all the filth of social media and whatever else. And then very often parents are given information that this is the person now that I want to marry. Now the parents in their wisdom, in their foresight, in their insight, in their experience, they can sometimes ascertain and see something which that person in their blindness can't see. They're blinded by that artificial love. They're blinded by that infatuation. So they can't see. They can't see beyond their noses sometimes. Because that what is blinding them is right in front of their eyes. So they can't see beyond that. So now the parents sometimes in their experience, in their wisdom, in their knowledge, they can foresee that this is going to be very problematic because this compatibility is not here. There are major problems here in this. But now nobody is prepared to listen to those parents. They are not interested. You all get me married, otherwise I am going to run away from home. They make all kinds of threats. Now they are totally consumed by this insanity of that so-called love, that haram love that had now been continuing 
this communication and so on. So now they are caught up in this insanity of this haram. Now as a result, they are not prepared to consider their parents, they are not prepared to consider anybody. So now the parents are trying to make, look at this person now, there have been these kind of incidents. Now that girl is bent on marrying the person. The parents are saying, but look at this fellow, this fellow wears earrings. I'm not interested in that, that's fine. So if he's wearing earrings, it's his choice. What kind of, you are a girl who's grown up in a dini environment, you have understood what is the requirements of deen, and what is the way to conduct oneself, what is the appearance of a Muslim. This person has got tattoos, he's got earrings, he's wearing earrings, and uh, you say, no, it's, no, no, I, I, this is my choice. Now, they make all these so-called choices, sometimes they put parents into a real corner, the parents have no choice in the matter, because they, they are being put into such a position, if you all don't agree to this and don't get me married, they make stupid kinds of statements, I don't even want to repeat the kind of statements that are made, and all kinds of stupid threats. So now eventually the parents, just to try and save a situation, they very, very reluctantly sometimes give in. So now in any case that nikah took place, and then barely two, three months later, that girl now is crying, and she's come back, but this person is doing this, and he's doing that, and I just can't uh, live with him anymore. But we told you beforehand, she says, no, at that time I didn't think it would be like this. But that's the point, that if we had accepted to take that advice, to start off with, don't ever, don't ever touch fire. And all these illicit communications is fire. You'll get burned. People, many, many have got burned. Let us learn from their mistake. And everybody thinks, I am very smart. I have made the right choice. Everybody thinks, no, no, I won't get caught like a fool. Meanwhile, while they are thinking about that, that I won't get caught like a fool, they already have been made fools. So many times this happens. They have already been made fools. They are being made a fool of right at that very moment when they are thinking that, no, this... I have made the right choice, and I am not a fool. But at that moment, the fellow is talking to somebody else at the same time. And he's making both fools. And sometimes half a dozen fools one time. And this is happening, unfortunately, so commonly, and is happening from both sides, both directions. All are making fools of one another. Because getting caught up in sin is a terribly foolish thing. So people who get caught up in this kind of illicit communication and chatting and whatever else, then they are bound to become fools. Because that is what sin does. One of the things sin does is that it stunts the intelligence. The person's thinking becomes stunted. The person can't think straight. The person can't see benefit from harm. The person can't see good from bad. And blindly the person goes into the worst dangers, and say, no, no, don't worry, I'll be fine. Not prepared to listen to anybody's counsel, anybody's advice, anybody's well-wishing, anybody who tries to be good to the person by explaining that person becomes the enemy. Somebody is trying to advise, that person becomes the enemy. Somebody is trying to uh, help you by coming out of a dangerous situation, your helper becomes your enemy. Why? Because that mind is blinded. That mind is blocked, and the the insight is blinded. This is the zulmat and the darkness of sins. So, we were talking about now, we digressed again, 
that Abdullah bin Mubarak rahmatullahi now his father Mubarak he was the slave and the master asked him for advice and I have a daughter of marriageable age I need to get her married now what is the kind of person what kind of qualities he must have so Mubarak rahmatullahi gave this advice that look these are the ways that different people make their choices based on these criteria which is all not in order that as making those things the primary basis to make a judgment yes they have their place but they are not the primary consideration the primary consideration is the deen and akhlaq of the person so therefore he gave this advice the master went back home he was again very impressed with this advice as well and Abdullah Mubarak Rahmatullahi sincerely wholehearted the father Mubarak Rahmatullahi wholeheartedly gave this good advice when he went home, the master went home, he said to his wife that, look, this is the advice the slave has given and such sound advice. And if I have to look around in the light of this advice, who is the person that fits the criteria best? That what should be the primary objective, primary concern, the primary deciding factor, the deen and the akhlaq of the person? So he said, look, I don't find anybody who fits this criteria better than the very slave, our slave, Mubarak. He fits this criteria best. And he's a person of knowledge, a person of wisdom. So he made the decision and he got his daughter married to his own slave, freed him and got the nikah performed. So now, can you imagine that people would have had some comments, oh, oh, she would have got such big, big proposals from so wealthy people, and this person, and that person, father's got her married off to one slave. But the father and that girl, both were happily, made this decision happily, because they knew what is of real worth. The real worth is what makes a person valuable. What makes a person valuable is values. One is value. Value is normally spoken about money value, monetary value. And the other is what is termed as the values within a person. So one is external things. External things come and go uh, very, very uh, insignificant. And one minute a person has that wealth, the next minute it doesn't have it. Somebody has the beauty and something now, all the beauty is gone. So all these things don't, are not lasting, don't have any real significance. It's a secondary thing. You won't say it's to be discarded entirely, but it is not a primary consideration. But deen and akhlaq, this is something that is within. When a person is filled with values, akhlaqi values, has true good values in him, that will shine out in his life, and it will shine over everything else. Even if he doesn't have much wealth, this will make him very wealthy as a person. Because he has values. He will be very valuable in the eyes of others also. And if he has the right values, he will, that, that correct, that those values within him will outshine even the lack of external beauty also. So they got the daughter married to the slave and she, this is that marriage that took place and from this marriage this great scholar of deen, this great muhaddis, this great faqih, this great 
uh, alim of the time, this very great personality, Abdullah bin Mubarak rahmatullahi was born out of this marriage, and this is the personality that we are discussing. So this was his background. There were some very important lessons here in the father's incident, his honesty, his uprightness, his good qualities, which brought him this good in dunya already. And then the akhirat, inshallah, Allah Ta'ala would have blessed him tremendously as well. So, we are also going to be someday having to make these kind of decisions. We should have our priorities in order. As mentioned, the other aspects are not that they are to be totally ignored, but that's not the primary consideration. Those things will not be given preference at the expense of deen. That somebody has no deen in his life, but he is a very wealthy person, so that's fine now. Don't worry, everything else will come right. It doesn't happen like that. That person doesn't have any akhlaq in him. In the first week, there will be a problem. If he is devoid of akhlaq, then he will start shouting and screaming in the first week. And then if she is also devoid of akhlaq, she will start shouting and screaming. And then there will be a screaming match. And then from the screaming match, it might become a screeching match. Allah knows best way it will finish off. So, the primary thing is the deen and the akhlaq of a person. Then, the other things with or without it, life will inshallah carry on. But if there's deen and akhlaq, inshallah the person will be happy, in dunya also, and inshallah this will be a support for a person in the akhirat as well, towards the life of akhirat. May Allah tabarak wa ta'ala give us the ability, there are other lessons inshallah, we will continue. We had started off actually talking about the early life of Abdullah bin Mubarak rahmatullahi and where there was a period of time in his life where he just slipped off the track for a while. But then Allah Ta'ala's tawfiq, he came back on track. We will just discuss that inshallah briefly next week and take some lessons from that as well. But in the interim, there were certain other very important things that Allah Ta'ala world that came up. May Allah Ta'ala give us the full understanding of what is deen all about, the correct understanding of deen Allah Ta'ala give us the tawfiq of practicing on deen in entirety and that we become the true and obedient servants of Allah Ta'ala in every respect. May Allah Ta'ala wa ta'ala accept one and all and bless us with the best of dunya and akhirat. Wa akhiru da'wana anil hamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma laka alhamdu kulluhu wa laka shukru kulluhu. Allahumma la nuhsi thana'an alayk anta kama athnayta ala nafsik. Jazallahu anna nabiyyana muhammadan sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bima huwa ahlu. اللهم افتح لنا بالخير واختم لنا بالخير واجعل عواقب أمورنا بالخير بيدك الخير إنك على كل شيء قدير ربنا هب لنا من أزواجنا وذرياتنا قرة أعين واجعلنا للمتقين إماما ربنا فاغفر لنا ذنوبنا وكفر عنا سيئاتنا وتوفنا مع الأبرار ربنا وآتنا ما وعدتنا على رسلك ولا تخزنا يوم القيامة إنك لا تخلف المعاد اللهم إنا نسألك من خير ما سألك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ونعوذ بك من شر ما استعاذك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم أنت المستعان وعليك البلاغ ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه معين والحمد لله رب العالمين